Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Today is Palm Sunday, the start of a week that the Christian Church calls holy, and it ends with Easter Day, the most significant moment in history for Christians. This is when we remember that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was tortured and then executed by being nailed to a cross and left hanging till he died. His death was brutal, but he was innocent of any crime. He'd been betrayed by one of his followers and convicted on trumped-up charges. Yet, as he was dying, Jesus publicly forgave his killers. Then, three days after his dead body had been taken down from the cross and sealed in a tomb, he came back to life, and over the following six weeks he appeared to hundreds of people. And 2,000 years later, his followers continue to tell the story. A story that begins with palm branches, a donkey and cheering crowds. Ride on, ride on in majesty. So begins Palm Sunday, less than a week before Jesus was going to die, although of course no one knew that at the time. After three years of teaching and healing, Jesus had built a big following. He rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey and was hailed as the Messiah who'd come to overthrow the Roman occupiers and re-establish a Jewish kingdom. 
Jerusalem was crowded with Jewish people arriving to celebrate Passover, commemorating their escape from slavery in Egypt nearly 1,500 years earlier, something that Jewish people still do to this day. The following day, Jesus went to the temple, the very heart of the Jewish faith, and found it had been taken over by money changers and merchants, exploiting the poor people. He called them thieves and drove them out. The religious authorities were alarmed and feared how he was stirring up the crowds. So the next day, they challenged Jesus, questioning his authority. He answered by condemning their hypocrisy. By the middle of the week, the Jewish religious leaders and elders were so angry with Jesus and so fearful of his power and popularity with the people that they began plotting to kill him. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas, went to the chief priests and agreed to betray him to them. Jesus and the twelve disciples gathered on the Thursday evening to celebrate the Passover meal. During the evening, Jesus broke bread and shared it and a cup of wine with his disciples and commanded them to continue to do the same in memory of his death. During the meal, Judas slipped away to be ready to lead the soldiers to the olive grove where Jesus went to pray after the meal. He knew what lay ahead. He knew he was going to die. He also knew he could run into the desert and never be found. But instead, Jesus chose the way of obedience. Minutes later, Judas arrived with the soldiers and the chief priests, and Jesus was arrested. Richard Littledale, author, broadcaster and retired Baptist minister, has been with us each week during this season of Lent, bringing with him a packet of breakfast cereal made back in the days when there used to be a little free gift in every box. And at this point in the story of Holy Week, we need to see what's in today's cereal packet. Over these weeks, I have lined up a set of little cereal packets for us, like a variety pack. They may be small, but at least each one has a gift. These boxes each contain a portion of John's Gospel and a nugget for us to hold up to the light on these Sunday mornings in Lent. Our cereal box today has an art print spilling across its sides. The muted orange and green colour palette and the bandaged ear on that mournful face are instantly recognisable. This is the face of Vincent van Gogh with only one ear. We shall return to that, but first let's tip out the contents. Today we are in John chapter 18 as the soldiers arrive to arrest Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, 
I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. What a clash there is here. Soldiers with their bright swords and Jesus with his gentle words. What an uncharacteristically violent thing for Peter the rock to do. And what an awful night for Malchus the high priest's servant. His story must have been told again and again in the early church, which is why we have the nugget of his name with us today. I wonder what he might say as he recounted the story of that night. Let's listen. It stung. Oh, how it stung. When I clutched my hand to my face, it was slick with blood straight away. Why not one of the soldiers, I wailed inside. Why not one of these fighting men with their swords and breastplates? Why me? was my last thought as I sunk onto the cool rocky ground. People told me afterwards that Jesus stepped into the torch-lit circle one more time before they bound him and took him. He rebuked his burly man for hurting me so, somehow fixed my ear to my head, and then disappeared into the night with the hunters like their trophy, bound and chained like a prize stag for the banquet. The thing is, I hear better since then. I hear better, and I see better than I ever did. Since that night, I can hear the sound of God's voice when others hear only noise. When some think he only whispers in the sky's beauty or the bird's flight, to me he shouts. When some claim they hear him in the priest's droning words, I wait until it's over to hear him in the quiet place. I see differently too. That night I saw the brightest of torches and the angriest of flames eclipsed by the artless brilliance of God's Son. That night I saw might and power reduced to sheepish compliance. And I saw weapons blunted by the sharpness of words. Even as my eyes dim with the passage of time, I see clearer with each passing day. And what of touch and taste and smell, you may ask, whenever I run my fingers around the edge of my ear, I can feel the scar where it was reattached. It's not a perfect join. And I'm grateful for every bump and pucker in the skin, I can tell you. Every time I run my fingers over them, it reminds me that wholeness can be found where things are broken. Every time I feel this ugly, uneven line, it reminds me that a new life is marked, but not defined, by the old one.
our imaginary Malchus is right. Often the hand of God is seen as much in our scars as it was in the healing. Don't you think? After a mockery of a trial on baseless charges, Pontius Pilate, who really wanted to release Jesus, weakly bowed to public pressure and handed him over to be tortured and crucified. Jesus was mocked, crowned with thorns, stripped and made to carry his cross to the place of execution. The crucifixion of Jesus took place on the Friday, remembered in the Christian calendar as Good Friday. Lord, where are you now? It's the understandable question we all ask when life deals us, and those we love, the hardest, bitterest blows. This week is called Holy because it's our chance to reflect on something amazing, that God sent his Son, Jesus, into this world, a human being just like you and me, who actually did nothing but good, but who was prepared to suffer hideously and die an appalling death to sweep away all the sin in our lives and to offer to everyone the way to an everlasting life. And Good Friday? Jesus, hanging on the cross, is saying to each one of us, in the most painful times of your life, I am with you. And death is not the end. For the 8th Manx Bard, Michael Manning, the images and events of that holy week 2,000 years ago are almost unbearably fresh and relevant when overlaid on our world today. This is the way the world is, the way we raise our shaking palms, the way we cast our ragged cloaks before the power, the way we praise the hot expected hour, anticipating the gleeful retribution Remember the way the walls were once torn down? The way the family stripped of firstborn scrabbled in the dark for the child now lost, the son that lies dead. For violence wrought demands violence in return, we said. This is the way the world is. The fearful, forced, forsaken world, the punitive world has its way. This is the way the world is, the way of what is done at night, the bent conspiracies and betrayals, the silver pieces, toil and trade and loyalties frayed, the way poor women bruised their breasts and wept and wept and wept, the vows not kept, the way the oppressed persist in their lament, backs bent, lives rent. This is the way the world is, 
the brutal, branded, blinding world. The carceral world has its way. This is the way the world is, the broad and busy way into the city, the way we pass by the dying, unremarkable, unwilling interruption for our errands there. Where was it you were going? The way what is important always seems to lie elsewhere, the way we shy from what is shameful, efficient executions. The way we once had a dream that the world could be better before the powers conditioned us, partitioned us, requisitioned us, and mocked the scars on the land, the wounds on the hand. This is the way the world is. The weary, waste, and disappointed world. The occupied world has its way. This is the way the world is. The way the children seem to know, and thus they dance and laugh and grow. The way the spoken stories sing. The way hope burns. The way what is most mighty arrives in such humility, like the poured oil of the sure sunrise, anointing the soil, balm for blind eyes. The way the sown seed meets the wide earth's sacred need. This is the way the world is. The graced, embraced, love-riven world. The healed, unsealed, forgiven world. The real world. The real world. The real world has its way. God be on Thank you to Richard Littledale and to the current Manx Bard, Michael Manning. And now I want to take you to a church at a crossroads. It's Selby Methodist Church at the crossroads in the village, right opposite the Selby Glen Hotel. And it's also reached a crossroads in its church life, needing to decide, do we stay as we are, or do we step out in faith and redevelop our church to better serve our church family and the whole village community? Well, they chose to redevelop, to make Selby Methodist Church into both a place of worship and a multi-purpose space available to the whole community. And here to tell me about it are church members Louise Whiteleg, Derek Jones and Doris Kameen. Louise Whiteleg considers herself a relative newcomer, having only been at the church for some six years. I knew I was moving up to Selby and so I came for a bit of a recce. And then I got talking to the congregation and knew that that could be my new church family because it is that, it's family. It's a lovely space where everyone cares about each other. But the building, oh my days, when I looked at that, I thought there's a challenge ahead. But did you find when you started to talk to the church family, there were other people there who already shared your vision? I was really inspired by the vision that they'd got for the church. There's a hunger and a knowledge that we have to do something. 
we need to look at how we can make the church a, a more usable space for everybody in the community because we do so many different events to pull different people together and to explore lots of different fun activities and lots of different ideas and just ex- expand the family really the space we've got just isn't adequate and the church has known that for a long long time and as with all these things there's a great saying isn't there it's not in our time it's in god's time and i think it's about to happen we've been working really really hard to get this project off the ground now first of all derek your involvement with the church have you been part of selby methodist church for a long time i have been for about 20 years i think i've just been really involved with it i became a, a steward And then I decided that I would go on and become a worship leader, which I qualified for. I now do some of the preaching in the church. And the members of the church are so loving and helpful that it makes it a pleasure to do this. Now, when you first suggested that you redevelop the church and repurpose it for the community, was everybody enthusiastic about it? Pretty well. There were one or two that uh, said, oh, no, we can't take these pews out. We can't do this. We can't do that. This has been in there for so long as the church is 114 years old. You can't go changing it around. But uh, we persevered and showed them the way we want to go. We're keeping the, the organ, obviously, which is the oldest organ going working. And also the the pulpit at the end, which is a, a beautiful piece of woodwork. There's no ways we could take that out. The outside of the church really is not going to change in, in that way, except we're going to put a couple of heater pumps out there instead of the oil boilers. Heat pump to provide hot water for the underfloor heating. The latest style of overhead heating just to back that up. I've designed all the lighting in the place to be low energy LED lights and uh, the whole thing will become as near carbon neutral as we can make it. We envisage that the church will be divided roughly in half. The first part in front of the pulpit will be for worship area and then the other part at the back will be for more active work and also a lot more comfortable seating. How about funding for this, Derek? Well, we're working hard to get the money for this. We've got some in already. I think we've got enough really to make a start. We'd have enough to do the floor, to level the floor. There is a slope on the floor from the back to the front, which we need to bring up to one level. Doris Kameen is the organist in Selby, playing the oldest church organ in use on the island. But Doris's link to the church has been lifelong. Yes, I started at Kadamua, but then... My mother said, right, you're going to Sulby as well. And I used to walk all the way from the Grangey over uh, because I went to old, old Sulby school as well. Then, of course, I would be in the Sunday school, but the Sunday school was down the Clenick Road at the time. If that building was used for something, say, on Saturday, and we couldn't use it, we had to move up into the chapel. And there would be about four different classes. And I would be in the class that was up by the organ. And May Quayle, who used to play the organ, she made sure that we didn't walk across the pedals, the ones I play now. And the very first time I came up to play that organ was for a flower festival. And I said to someone, May Quail is looking over my shoulder and I'm hearing her voice. 
Keep away from that organ. <laughs> In fact, this is it's a pretty special organ, isn't it, Doris? The oldest one on the island. So how do you feel about this new lease of life for the church? Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Everybody else will be able to see just what we have done to the building. We're not knocking it about. We're making sure that it's there for many, many years to come. Well, Doris, you're talking about your experience as a child there, mm. when the church was the centre of the community, wasn't it? That's right. And by doing this, there's a chance for putting the church back at the centre of the village, isn't there? Oh, yes. You know, they have concerts. Lots of people, of course, don't like sitting in pews. So what we can do is take the pews out and have proper seating. The present church pews will be sold to raise funds for the redevelopment work. And one has already been sold. I want one, number 50. That's where Dad used to sit oh. when the sermon was on because he used to have to pump that organ. You didn't flick a switch. You had to pump. That was hard work, wasn't it? It was, because he used to pump with his left hand and hold the hymn book and sing at the same time <laughs> because he was the most wonderful bass singer. He used to sing with uh, Miss Daisy Ratliff. That'll be Arthur Ratliff's aunt, no longer with us now, but she had a beautiful voice. And she would stand up in her pew... Dad was standing, they were more or less on the same level. And they used to sing some marvellous duets together. There was a lovely choir at Sulby, really great choir. And, uh, as I say, good Sunday school as well. Who would be in charge of the choir then, Doris? Mrs Merrill. Now, she, don't know, is she a daughter or granddaughter of William Southwood? And he was the person who wrote... The hymn called Absent on that organ. And also, I think it was his daughter, was Mrs Moore. And she was Granny Moore to Gareth Moore, organist. And the wheel has come its full circle because yes. Gareth is a regular visitor to Selby, isn't he? He's, he's oh, given yes. concerts there. And his granny used to be in the West Transept, or the main choir. They were all on the East Transept, yes. So uh, he's got a link with Solby. I think with Derek and various other members of the church council, we've got an absolute cracking team. There's a, a real mixture of skills and abilities and it's all really come together for this one vision because, as Doris said, we want the church to be there for Solby for many, many years to come. The church is bigger than the building. But the building's an iconic part of Solby and it's our home. And we want it to be a safe, welcoming space where people can come and be themselves, enjoy, relax. And we want to share that home with other people. And when we have discussions within church circles, we all sit down and we all look at how the church is changing and we talk about mission. That's not really the root of what we're doing. The root of what we're doing is so it gives us as Christians, an ability to do what Christians should do, which is reach out to people from a position of love. Anything else will follow after that. People look at faith and spirituality and religion absolutely differently, but there's a nugget inside of everybody that wants to be connected within a family, and that's at the root of this project, is connecting people, bringing people together, 
and enabling us as a church family to go out into the community and to do what we should be doing as loving Christians. There's so much energy wanting to get this project started. So we've actually done a few bits of the project already. And one of the first bits was fixing some of the stained glass windows. So we've had the most marvellous artisan come and remove various panels of stained glass windows and re-lead the windows. So the colours are bouncing now. And one of the things that interested me was the comments from the people who sit near the windows about how the draft has gone and it looks great and it really bounces out. And it's one of the things that's inspiring us to continue with the project because we can see the change. So we're ever so grateful to everyone who supported us so far. But the best bet is, really, you must come down and have a look. And I've got an excellent excuse to come down and have a look because on Easter Saturday, we've got a family fun day at the church. And it's on 11 until 3. We've got all sorts of fun stuff. We've even got an egg hunt. So do come down, bring the kids down. There's going to be loads of crafts and things like that. And also you can get a bit of a sneaky preview at some of the good work that's already been started. Thank you, Louise, Derek and Doris from Selby Methodist Church. And they'd love to see you at their Easter fun day next Saturday the 8th. Pop in any time between 11am and 3pm with games and activities for all ages and, of course, refreshments too. And the service on Easter Sunday morning in Selby Methodist Church will be at half past ten. And now it's time to take a look at the rest of our notice board. This afternoon at half past two, there'll be a Manx and English bilingual service in Balabeg Methodist Chapel, led by Reverend Dr Janet Corlett, with a warm welcome for all. This evening, the Mariners will be in Glen May Methodist Chapel for a service starting at half past six. The preacher will be Reverend Chris Belfield and as usual you're invited to stay on for supper and community hymn singing after the service. On Tuesday the 4th there's a tabletop raffle and refreshments in Sandygate Chapel open from 10am to 12 noon. The last Lent lunch in the Abbey Church Hall in Balasala is this Tuesday between 12 noon and 2 o'clock and there's just one more Lent lunch at the Cool Chapel on the edge of the Isle of Man Business Park. It's this Thursday from noon until 2 o'clock. This Thursday, Maundy Thursday, in Dolby Church, there'll be a Gethsemane vigil from 7pm till 10pm at Dolby Schoolrooms. Feel free to stay for as little or as long as you want. There'll be times of silence, reflection, music and a retelling of the Easter story. There'll be refreshments too. There's no need to book and all are welcome. Also on Thursday, there'll be a Monday Thursday contemplative service when Christ Church Laxey will join with St Peter's Church at the Parish Church in Onken for a service starting at 7pm. Also on Thursday evening, there's a Monday communion service conducted by Reverend Chris Belfield at Balafesson Chapel starting at 7.30pm. On Good Friday morning at 11am in Port Erin Methodist Church, there'll be a Good Friday service, followed by an ecumenical walk of witness to the ShopRite car park for a short act of worship there. The guest speaker is the Reverend Graham Thompson, President of the Methodist Conference, who'll be visiting the island next weekend. And I hope he'll be my special guest on this programme next week as we celebrate Easter together. On Good Friday in Arbury Parish Church in Balabeg, Meadowside Choir will be performing Olivet to Calvary with soloists Ernie Thorne and Jeff Corkish and organist Gareth Moore. And it starts at half past six on Good Friday evening. 
as you might imagine, I've got a lot of information about services on Easter Sunday. Really too much to fit on our notice board here. And I'll be featuring them all on sundown tonight. So I do hope that you'll be able to join me tonight from nine o'clock for sundown. It's your invitation into our virtual late lounge for a mix of easy listening music and a lot of notice board news. I'd love you to join me if you can. And so, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a truly blessed Holy Week and a very good morning. The Nation Station Manx Radio